Welcome to the Don Pravda and Erica Gray Show. The Twist. Welcome to the Twist News. I'm Erica Gray. Hi, Erica. Michael and Don Pravda. <laughs> and Don, would you like to introduce our guest? Former ambassador of Israel to the United States of America, our friend in Gadol, Michael Oren. Shalom. And Michael's written a book that we're going to talk about, 2048. Yes. So, Michael, we'd love to hear about your book. Okay. And by the way, we have an Amazon store. So you're going to want to check out his book in our Amazon store because... You can order it. You can order it. <laughs> you can also order it on Corin, K-O-R-E-N, who's the publisher, a great publisher of uh, mostly Jewish texts. Um, this is a, a, a departure for me. I'm trained as an historian. I was a history professor. Uh, I've written about history, about Israel history, about the history of America and the Middle East, about my time in Washington. This is a, a, a book that doesn't deal with the past. It's a book that deals with the future. And it, let's see, let's see. Um, it is a project that, that began with a conversation between me and the, the president, president and the, sorry, the prime minister and me, he's not quite the president yet, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, about five years ago. When I was the, I was in Knesset, Okay. And I was the deputy minister in his office. Wow. So I worked very closely with Netanyahu for many years. And one night, you know, we used to talk in the middle of the night, usually about books. And, uh, and I mentioned to him that we are always so bogged down in our current crises that we never really get a chance to think about our future. And I said, why don't we create a, a state commission that would look at Israel's future, what state we wanted to have on its 100th birthday, right, 2048. And the Prime Minister got very excited about it and mm -hmm. gave me the green light to begin this research. And it was going to be a state commission on every aspect of Israel's future. Educational policy, social policy, foreign policy, Israel diaspora, Israel Palestinian, Israel United States. Every really? aspect, what country do we want to bequeath to our children and grandchildren? And it had a, had a, had a, a harsher edge. What country are we going to have to have in order to assure a second successful century for the state of Israel, assuming that our second, first century would be completely successful. Okay. Well, uh, I began the process, and then the government fell, as it does, mm -hmm. and um, for the next year I moved this, this project into the Hartman Institute in Jerusalem with my uh, good friend Natan Sharansky. We had a fascinating discussion about Israel's future mm -hmm. uh, with some leading scholars. But then Corona struck, and uh, I retreated into my office and wrote the book. And the book incorporates about, what can I say, 50 years of experience in various areas of Israel, public life, and my military career was 25 years in the military. Wow. And, um, and foreign policy. Wow. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Live wow. to talk about More it. Wows. Okay. Live to talk about it. But no one ever mentions my military background, but I'm very, <laughs> I'm very partial to it, as you can imagine. And, um, and it, it, it came out, what we called the manifesto, came out to about 70 pages in English. And then various people began to read sections and, and, and to hold Zoom meetings about it during Corona. Mm -hmm. And they created an NGO called Israel 2048, the second century. Really? So an NGO was actually created? It has a web page. You can go to it. The Rejuvenated from your, And what are some of the... What are some of what's some of your vision that's in the book? I know you won't want to reveal it all because, of course, we want you to buy his book. Mm -hmm. well, I made two vows in, in writing the book. Mm -hmm. One was that I would not shy away from any issue, no matter how um, complex, no matter how potentially explosive. Mm -hmm. And there's no shortage of those. And I also made a vow that I would be very policy-driven. 
But there's only one sort of ideological supposition to the whole book, and that we are the Jewish people, and we are endowed to an inalienable right to self-determination in our home life. After that, everything's over. Everything's over. So this was this was fascinating um, and controversial. So some of the more controversial issues I address is are the uh, the Bedouin issue in the South, okay. which is a potentially an existential issue. If we don't address it, it will endanger our future existence. Because um, of many many factors, the least of which is the uh, proliferation of polygamy. In the desert. Uh, about 30% of Bedouin males have four wives, which has created the largest population explosion in the world. In the world, we don't even know how many Bedouins there are in the United States, and uh, over 400,000 illegal Bedouin structures in the negative, right? which the police are afraid to take down because we simply have don't have enough police. I deal with the, the Haredi, the Orthodox, and many people object to the fact that I even put mention the Haredi issue and the Bedouin issue in the same in the same breath. Mm -hmm. um, and they are very, very different, but they all have to do with Israel's difficulty in enforcing its sovereignty, or our sovereignty. Uh, you know, Jewish people weren't sovereign for 2,000 years. And suddenly mm -hmm. we woke up in May 1948, and we're a sovereign nation, and we don't quite understand sovereignty uh, the way many, many states do. It's funny you should bring that up, because that's a big issue on our show, and we champion Israeli sovereignty, and we point out contradictions in world affairs of the nations, uh, such as Emmanuel Macron just stating, you know, EU sovereignty, but yet, every, but yet, the EU wants to tell Israel what to do, how to do it concerning the two states. The EU objects to our, our system of military law in Judea and Samaria, mm -hmm. but if we were to extend civilian law to Samaria, they condemn us too. <laughs> so, damn if we do, damn if we don't. But yeah, but, so there's this this whole thing yeah. that we talk about on the world stage, where it seems that every nation or empire wants to get in on telling Israel what to do Amazing. and what they should do. So I just want to let you know, we champion, no, I, I get it completely. and we're really A nation that is the size yeah, I, of Vermont should be told what to do from all over the world. It's yes. extraordinary. It's extraordinary. extraordinary yes. And extraordinary terrible. Listen, I'm a certain so big champion of the U.S.-Israel relationship. So I love And I've had a very close relationship over the years with both with Joe Biden, President Biden, and with mm -hmm. his senior staff. I know them all personally, not just professionally. Mm -hmm. And they are very pro-Israel. They're dedicated to our security. They are Democrats. They have policy differences with us. Mm -hmm. uh, but that aside, uh, but every once in a while, they will interfere in our sovereignty in a way that is simply uh, unsupported, you know, by any bilateral relationship in the world. Um, they will question the, our ability to um, to judge ourselves, to judge our soldiers, our our military justice system, our civil wow. justice system, and I think that's utterly, utterly unacceptable. We should say it. That's it. We are a sovereign nation, and. Um, and I understand that they express concern about what's happening in the big mm -hmm. debate over judicial reform. Um, but they, a country that has experienced an insurrection mm -hmm. in the last year and a half, a country where there's a significant segment of the population that doesn't accept the outcome of, mm -hmm. of certain elections, should, I think, be a little bit more humble in preaching democracy to somebody else. Uh, we have never had an insurrection in 75 right. years. And we've I never had anything close to it. And we've never had a contested election mm -hmm. in 75 years. And that should be respected. I would like to pose something to you. Yes. Uh, we've talked about, and I want to hear your reaction to this. Israel right now is the eighth strongest nation in the world. Concerning the European Union, there are so many contributions that it would take probably 15 minutes to list them all, as well as 
Israel is part of the association, I mean, is part of the uh, Copenhagen criteria, has met the Copenhagen criteria, all these positive things about Israel, all the contributions, as well as to the United States. Uh, Israel is the democratic nation that the United States can rely on. Why, with the strength of Israel, will it not punch up to its weight, just like the European Union, when it comes to this two-state solution, and punch up to its weight? Because it seems every nation wants to get on this bandwagon and tell Israel what to do and how to do it. Why will Israel not punch up to its weight? Sorry, I can say this, I'm I think, not I think it's Jewish. A very, it's a very deep question. I'm not mm -hmm. Jewish, it's a so deep, I it's can a deep question. This. It's a deep question. You know, I, I, I had a lot of interaction with European parliaments over the years, mm -hmm. uh, and, and Israeli uh, uh, parliamentary delegations to Europe. Wow. And I would be shocked mm -hmm. and dismayed when members of these delegations, particularly including members of the delegation from the Israeli right, would get mm -hmm. up in front of a European parliament and say, listen, we're not perfect, we know we make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And I would get them aside and say, why are you apologizing to Europeans? Why are you starting your remark by apologizing? We're sitting in the, the Belgian parliament, with a building built with the, the blood and sweat and tears of, of countless thousands of Africans in the continent. Mm -hmm. You've got to apologize to the Belgians for something? Hello? And we don't even have to go to the Germans and the French. Okay? Wow. No, we should never apologize to the Germans. Mm -hmm. Europeans should be apologizing to us. Apologize to anybody. Never mm -hmm. apologize. And stop, stop. The part of Israel, that's what I mean, we don't understand our sovereignty deeply. Mm -hmm. And the, the sovereign nation doesn't get up in front of another nation and start apologizing. Just don't. And um, I guess because I you know, didn't grow up in Israel and I have a good sense of American sovereignty, mm -hmm. it helped me. It helped me. So it has to do with you know, a pride in the world. Someone who was great at this was Menachem Begin. And I guess Begin also grew up outside of you know, Israel and he, he, had that, he had that outlook. He, he never apologized to anybody. Everybody, so every, his whole family was murdered. That will do it. Well, certainly. So that's you know that that's crucial. But um, Israel, right now, this is a the, the two-state solution is so old. It, it's part of an archaic policy. We're in a new order now, yeah. uh, which we don't even know where the order is going to end up after this Ukraine Russia. So, so I'm now editing a, an article that's going to come out this week in Foreign Affairs magazine. Okay. It's the you know the premier foreign affairs uh, journal in the world. Mm -hmm. And I was asked to respond to an article by four uh, American scholars of the Middle East. Probably the most anti-Israel article I've ever read, certainly in a, in a, in a scholarly journal. Mm -hmm. And it was difficult to respond to it, but it, they, they, they asked the question, you know, now that the two-state solution is dead, we should have a one-state solution. And I began my counter-argument by saying, rat, rat, the question is not whether the two-state solution is dead, the question is whether it was ever alive. And um, <laughs> and then go and then go on to explain well why said, it was never aligned, and that, but it was clearly never aligned. And I, I come from you know a, a certain personal perspective. I was an advisor in the Robin government, mm -hmm. and I was an advisor to the Trump peace plan. So I come from Oslo all the way to the truth plan. So I'm speaking with a certain amount of, I would hope, authority. The largest chapter in my book, the longest chapter in my book, is about the peace process. And these ideas are in the book. But no one ever asked this very simple question. The Palestinians, going back to 1937, have repeatedly, repeated, offered, rejected offers for a two-state solution, and most of the time they rejected those offers because of war. That's telling you something. The Palestinians have no serious discussion in their society about what kind of state they want. 
They have made no serious effort to build transparent, stable institutions. Um, they have never accepted legitimacy of the Jewish state. They will never do that. They, in the United States' position is two states for two people. Palestinians won't sign on to that because they don't recognize the Jews as a people. So even, even if you had a two-state solution, it would never be legitimate as far as the Palestinians would have. You don't ask these very, very simple questions. In 140 years of history, I cannot adduce one shred of evidence, one shred of evidence that would support the case that the Palestinians are capable of sustaining a state structure. Mm. These are very, and I'm not saying this is a right winger or a left winger. Well, this is simply em empirical evidence from history. Well, also with the strength of Israel right yeah. now, you, you're essentially taking a banana republic, and you're going to weaken the current state by if you let's talk about if you could have a two-state solution, and Israel is in so many agreements right now that are major agreements. It's in the Horizon program in Europe. I mean, how would that all be effective? And I don't affect it. It, it would be negatively. And I think that no one's looking at the geoeconomic as far as... You don't have to look that far apart. You have a state that you know, be led by an individual, Mahmoud Abbas, mm -hmm. who's in the 17th year of his four-year term. Okay? Mm -hmm. Can't even stand for re-election of his own people. That state's going to fall apart in a matter of days. He stays alive because the IDF keeps him alive. And he wants the idea to pull out and see how, what, what his longevity is going to be. And a dictator. Yeah, this is a state's going to fall apart. It's going to put most Israeli cities, mm -hmm. not just within rocket range, but within rifle range. And we yeah. saw how this worked out. We withdraw from Lebanon, withdraw from right. Gaza. But the we don't get peace, we get rockets. rockets. We got rockets tonight as we're talking. And, you know, Israelis aren't rockets. stupid. They're not going to sign on to that. Um, so these, these are very fundamental Fundamental conclusions I've made about the about the peace process. What do you feel the solution is on the world There's stage? There's no because solution. Everybody's jumping on this bandwagon now. China well, we wants. To. <laughs> we have a choice of having them jump or die. What would you, what would you choose? Right. Okay, we're not we're not going to make the world feel better for us by by endangering the lives of our children. Just not. Sorry. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna have to deal with it and explain it the best we can. But we can manage this conflict much better. And if we we stop thinking about in terms of solutions and think about management. And management, and it sounds like you're in agreement with what we're advocating on this channel is Israel punching up to us, Israel asserting itself mm -hmm. and saying this is out of the question. We, you know, to the United States, we offer you X, Y, Z. We will not have this. But we have to offer something, and we have to be proactive. We're not being proactive. You know, but Israel does offer. We need to offer more. We need to offer more. We have to be. That's why I say in the book also. We have to provide what's called the political horizon. Mm -hmm. But there are many alternatives you can consider. Mm -hmm. Federal solutions, trusteeships, condominiums. That if you get off this 30-year failed policy of two states, you can actually advance. Oh, we've even suggested and, something as um, uh, a virtual Palestinian. State. I don't know how controversial this this nation is, but I'll tell you something controversial. Okay, <laughs> if you were. Brain, oh, it's controversial. If you Go are ahead. a brain surgeon, if you Go are ahead. the head of a corporation that failed consistently for 30 mm -hmm. years at what you were doing, would you still be considered an expert in your field? No. Okay. That's not the case in Middle East diplomacy. <laughs> and you have an entire cadre of people that failed consistently, not just in, in mm -hmm. Israel-Palestinian issues, but in the entire Middle East, in Libya, Syria, Egypt. Yemen, Tunisia, you name it, they have failed, and yet they're still the experts. 
And that to me is, is astonishing, astonishing, because it wouldn't be the same in any other field except Middle East diplomacy. Mm -hmm. and, um, and they will not get off the, this, this, fail, this repeatedly failed policy. Let me say something, again, controversial. I wish it would work. I actually wish oh, there no, could no. be a two-state solution. No, we love the controversy but here. I wish, you know, I used to say to Secretary of State John Kerry, when, mm -hmm. he, was, uh, when he was engaged in his you know, shuttle diplomacy, I used to say, John, our problem with the Palestinians is, is not that they are not a people. Our problem is that they are not enough of a people. And mm -hmm. one of the great accomplishments of the state of Israel maybe the greatest, mm -hmm. is the fact that you could take Jews from 70 different nations in the world, don't share a common language, don't share a common culture, share a common faith and tradition. You can put them into this sliver of a country without natural resources, surrounded by adversaries, and we will create a high, high-functioning nation-state. Because, guess what? We actually are a people. Right. We actually right. are a people. And well the British and the French came along and created all sorts of peoples in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. That's great. But you see what happens when you create a Syrian people. You get Syria. You create Iraqi people. You get Iraq. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> now there are nation states in the Middle East. There's Egypt and there's, there's Iran, mm -hmm. Turkey. There are. Um, but Jordan as well. You know, there's a revolution in, in, in Egypt. There's still going to be in Egypt. But there's a revolution in Syria. Will there be a Syria? So that's that. That's, we're dealing with very fundamental issues. But I thought also, no one wants to address. But I thought also some of your proposals that you stated, you stated like a federation, and you and you used some other terms I hadn't heard, like condominiumizing, and mm -hmm. and why can't Israel be sovereign? Why can't the Palestinians have a little state within, or a state within the state of Israel, which is what Israel they have, can, and they can have opt-ins, opt-outs, like yeah. your, you know, you, uh, EU policy. You know, for certain laws, as I understand, certain laws don't sink. And uh, but a, but even a virtual state. Why not a virtual state where no matter where they live in Israel, they can. Uh, we're now in the age of the internet. You have virtual property, and then you can invest in. No, seriously, you oh, can you invest in that virtual, virtual leaders property. while you're at it. No, um, no, that's serious. So it's back, this is ancient history. Back in 2015, just like I wrote cryptocurrency. It. You know, started this whole thing. Now the, the digital bank. I mean, the it's, it's interesting. We got Chat GBT to create for the state. Um, Back in ancient history, pre-chat, uh, mm -hmm. uh, Wall Street Journal, I wrote an article called The Two-State Reality. And my position then, which is my position now, it's actually integrated in the book, 2048, is this, that um, the debate over two states, one state, whatever, is, is kind of a moot point, because there actually are two states. Mm -hmm. And if you travel through Israel, you go up our Highway 6, which goes mm -hmm. along Judea and Samaria, going north-south, you'll see huge Palestinian flags flying over cities. Mm -hmm. There actually is a kind of state there. It has territory, it has a government, mm -hmm. it has a police force, it collects taxes. <laughs> Unfortunately, mostly at gunpoint, but it collects taxes. <laughs> And, um, and, and, you know, it's not a, a barbarian state, but it's, you know, a sovereign state, but it's, it's a state. And the big question is, okay, what is the extent of the sovereignty of that state? What kind of risk can we give that state by giving it greater autonomy? Mm -hmm. And that article, I, I was in the White House several times during the Trump administration. Mm -hmm. uh, it became very important in the Trump peace plan, which, I, which assumes that we have something to work with let's not reinvent the wheel, let's build on a reality, mm -hmm. rather than an irreality of a two-state solution, which is not going to happen, which is Israel's retreat to more or less the 67 lines, the redivision of Jerusalem, no one's going to do that. Right. Nobody's going to do that. Right. And the Palestinians don't want it. 
So other than that, other than that, it's fine. <laughs> uh, be sure to subscribe to this channel, tune in for more, and check out his book. Toda Israel, Israel 2048, the rejuvenated state. Thank you. For Next time for more from Don Provder and Erica Gray for their twist on world news.